surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am here with the wonderful Kit Bender. Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah. It's a little bit of housekeeping. I've been traveling a bunch and I'm finally back in Seattle now. So super happy to see your face again and to be in person recording. Let's talk about it. It's good to be here. Mm-hmm. So today what we're talking about is gun violence and mental health. There's so much there. Um, I think we should just acknowledge that there's a scratch right on the surface, and that's as far as we're... But finding a middle space that's not on the fringes of the conversation, hopefully. Yes, a middle ground. I love that we both took a very deep inhale. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay, this is a heavy topic. There was a lot of feelings surrounding it. And, you know, there was the recent shooting at the school in Florida, and that just kind of got going on some more research. But, like, that's not the first one that's happened this year. And we've just been seeing these trends that keep coming up and where mental health is kind of being attacked and is being, you know, the root cause of why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of different angles here we can take there's a lot of there's a lot of polarizing happening on social media and even in just the media itself and even in congress and so we want to try to have a productive conversation here with someone who appears to be on an opposite side than we are i think by not not necessarily default but be you know living here where we do where uh in in, in seattle, seattle uh, the gun gun culture isn't as prevalent, and so finding finding the way to to have these conversations is 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 more difficult. More people that I talk yeah. to agree, yeah, with, yeah. with kind of the, the more liberal mm-hmm. side. And I think for me, going into this, I'm really trying to put on my exploration pants here, my curious hat to really hear out the other side of this. You know, that I'm not someone who's ever had experience with guns, but I don't think that that eliminates me from having an opinion or being educated about it. Mm-hmm. And this is a conversation that includes all of us as Americans. I think in a lot of what we're hearing, we are furthering the stigmatization of mental health. And that for me is really unacceptable. And even though there are parts of it that do need to be looked at. I don't like that it's being framed in such a negative way and in such a blaming and shaming way. And I think that's really unacceptable. And unfortunately, is creating a culture where that kind of language around mental health is acceptable when it's from people very high up in politics like our president. But a different president, a president of the APA, the American Psychological Association, (laughs) Jessica Daniels, she released a statement saying, Framing the conversation about gun violence in the context of mental illness does a disservice both to the victims of violence and unfairly stigmatizes the many others with mental illness. More important, it does not direct us to appropriate solutions to this public health crisis. 
Beautifully said. Yeah. And one of the stats that I believe you found in preparing for all of this, for this big discussion that we're going to have with our guest here was... Yeah. Well, when you're looking for common threads, when you're looking for things that seem to happen a lot of the time, it's easy to say, okay, guns, yeah, mental health, maybe. But a lot of times, some of the significant factors are a combination of males who are poor and abusing either drugs or alcohol. In mm-hmm. most cases of violence, especially gun violence, those three things, usually in combination, mm-hmm. are the most significant factors by far. And even when mental health is involved, mm-hmm. once you take uh, put, include those factors, the mental health uh, portion of it essentially statistically becomes irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to say that it isn't relevant as a whole no. in our society, but that in this particular issue, in the argument for gun legislation and more gun control. When you're looking for things to point to, uh, the the big factors have a lot more to do, uh, not with, is this person uh, have a mental illness, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's, it's, is this a a poor um, male who is abusing Mm -hmm. alcohol or drugs? And so that that alcohol and drug abuse is something where uh, you can actually even look at that and, and, and see it sometimes even more clearly. You can tell mm-hmm. alcohol abuse and drug abuse even more clearly sometimes than a, a, a mental disorder of some kind. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about some of this research that we have found throughout this conversation with our guest. Our guest is Alex YQ. He was on JoJo's season of The Bachelorette and then also was on Paradise this season with me. And we don't really seem see eye to eye on certain things, especially when it comes to this issue. Uh, there was a Twitter conversation that we'll get into, but, you know, definitely practicing some deep breathing going into it, checking my emotions at the door, really putting on my curious pants and trying to hear out this other perspective that seems so different than mine yeah. and hopefully, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but hopefully this can be something that we can try to practice doing in our everyday lives as these situations come up because these are conversations that frankly we cannot avoid having at this point anymore because innocent people are dying and this really fucked up. Yeah, it's worth having, it's worth having difficult conversations about. Yeah. So looking forward to it. Yep. All right, let's give them a call. Hello, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to have you on today to discuss uh, some of the issues around this debate with gun violence and the role that mental health plays in it and was kind of trying to figure out who I wanted to have on as a guest this week to discuss this. And this kind of all happened through Twitter. So I had tweeted a tweet from the Associated Press. They said, in wake of school shooting, Florida legislators vote down attempt to revive bill to ban assault rifles. And my tweet to that was, why? All caps. (laughs) And (laughs) you then responded or quoted the tweet saying, people like me, that's why. So I'd like to start by asking you what you mean by that. I think that there's so much going on right now. There's there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction. There's a lot of a lot of opinions that are formed and everyone deserves to have that. But at the same time, what I mean is that there's, there are people around that are coping with this in a different way and that it's, it makes sense to me why something wouldn't just, you know, knee jerk reactively, just make it, make its way through getting approved. And, and um, just because of current events, I think that there's so much more depth to the conversation than just being able to, experience a tragedy like a school shooting and then justify just stripping um 
what so many people are fighting for and are trying to protect. And, and there's just way more to it than just being able to do that. So, so you're worried that the, the legislation would be pushed through too quickly and it's, it, to that no, I just, I, I just, I think that it's, it's not the right thing. I think that mm-hmm. right now what needs to be done is protecting children. What we need to be doing is creating a real environment of safety for our children at the ground floor. We need to be discussing avenues to protect our children mm-hmm. and having discussions about taking away weapons right now. Although I will 100% talk to you about that and, and hear your side of it. It's to me, it's, it's counterproductive to why the, the discussion is even being had in the first place. It's not really making a difference in what we need a difference in. Okay. I think I, I, I don't think anyone would argue that it's about protecting children or that it's about protecting lives. But I think where the conversation gets difficult is having different ideas of how we go about doing that, right? Of course. Um, and so part of what I've read from you, from your Twitter, and again, that was me kind of trying to gauge like, okay, well, you know, how can I better understand where he's coming from? Like, what does he mean, people like me? Like, what is his stance, you know? Um, and so I want to read. Uh, are we going to, are we going to talk about my, my trolling on Twitter? Or are we no, 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 no. I don't want to get into the trolling, but something that you had said was that nothing is more important than children and all of this. Uh, but you're saying that the ultimate problem in all of this is mental health. There are social, technological, and institutional flaws I could point out. When you go to the mall, bank, grocery store, weapons are present. Why not in school? And that was in response to a teacher saying that it's difficult to explain the seriousness um, of the lockdown to children. And she was saying that no one in this country needs an AR-15. Um, how can this be be more important than their lives. And, and that was your response. So I'm hoping maybe you can expand yeah. on that a little so, bit. So what I see is, um, in a little bit of where my mindset's coming from is being that I spent the time that I spent in the military, in the Marine Corps, and, and the type of like life that I was expected to live for a portion of my life, it created a couple of different processes, the way ways to critically think through a problem set. And, and so what I see is, a, uh, if we use the school shooting as an example, because that's where all this stems mm-hmm. from, the, the holes that I'm pointing out is that fundamentally, there's things that we can do differently. Um, there's there's the the entire physical show of force. There's the, the psychological show of force. There's training that our students need to be put through. There's There's a victim and there's a fighting mentality in these circumstances that we need to actually enhance in our in our children because it's scary this is insane that we are going to be raising children one day hopefully if i have kids that are i'm going to be scared to let them go to a public school or a private school it doesn't matter because the bottom line is until there's physical like the the armed security that was there for instance Mm -hmm. they they only had one there's layers at the state level where the police officers involved didn't do their job they didn't actually ingest the information to the database that is currently being used and is is stopping a ton of the wrong people buying weapons the state level failed at doing their job so Mm -hmm. there's so many things that i think we as a society can chip away at before we go do drastic things like just think that 
creating a ban on assault weapons is actually going to solve the problem here because it's a cultural problem. Well, I, I don't see that just an assault on weapons is meant to be a cure to solve the problem. I think it's more meant to be a thing that uh, pushes us as a society away from that being the norm, away from the norm being someone having easy access to a weapon designed to kill a lot of people. So it's not meant to, I don't think, to, to cure the problem. But, but I think an important question is, so how do we steer uh, the whole culture a little bit, not worrying about trying to cure everything, but steer it a little bit? And mm-hmm. what factors do things like guns and assault weapons, how, how do they play? Not, not to dis, uh, you know, discredit them no, completely. I, 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 under- like, I understand what you mean. I'd like to take a break for a second to tell you guys about Flex. Fun fact. Did you know that tampons were invented by a man in the 1930s? I learned this recently, and I think because we avoid talking about topics like this, nothing gets invented. So let's talk about it. My period is pretty light, which meant that I hate using tampons because they were so uncomfortable. I recently started looking into different kinds of menstrual cups, but I found Flex, and I'm totally obsessed with it and just really had to share with you guys. Flex is a menstrual disc. It's invented by women for women. It's totally body safe and not linked to TSS, toxic shock syndrome. Plus, it's wearable for up to 12 hours, so you only have to change it twice per day, even if you have a heavy period. It is so comfortable, you can't feel it at all while you're wearing it, and it actually helped relieve my cramps. I'm a huge advocate in finding products that work for you, so I partnered with them to give you a three-month trial for only $12 plus free shipping. Just go to IHateTampons.com and use my code TAYLOR to try Flex for three months for only $12. Now back to the show. So, but what I find interesting is that even if we look at all those other factors involved, when you look at mental health uh, of people, when you look at society, when you look at anger, when you look at all the different ways that society works, it seems like the only exception between the way that, uh, or the, the rate at which mass shootings are done around the world the United States is an incredible exception in that they have the relatively same amount of crime, even violent crime, and of any kind of mental health um, issue. But the United States is the only one where that is expressed through incredibly you know, violent crimes like mass shootings. When you look at the spike where all these shootings are coming from and, and the technology that also is a part of that mm-hmm. and, and how our culture and our society is adapted and this these are the repercussions of the technology of the perpetuations this is this is a reality that we are living with and yet people still are not acknowledging and trying to do better at the next instance what do you mean so, what do you mean repercussions of the technology I'm, I'm, how you can share things on the internet i think the way that people are able to communicate through chat rooms that they would not have been able to communicate with um just just technology allows for a different way of digestion mm-hmm. and um, a different level of intimacy in that. So you look at, uh, I mean, the FBI and, and all of all of what's going on. How is this? How is people um, how are excuse me? How are people allowing this to just continue to be perpetuated? Uh, why are we doing that? 
you know, mm-hmm. that's, it's a rhetorical, but yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mean, social media in particular can be really helpful and also very dangerous when dealing with the aftermaths of these mass shootings. On one hand, it can lead to, you know, a little too much intimacy for someone trying to get gain the information and can lead to struggling with depression or even experiencing some of the trauma that the people experienced. But it also can provide people a place for empowerment. I mean, this mass shooting in Florida was very different than the other school mass shootings that we've seen because these students have really taken on a voice of their own and are like very, very outspoken with it and are really taking strides straight to Congress and are like not taking any shit. They're calling bullshit on a lot (laughs) of things that's happening right now. Um, And specifically what they are lobbying for is stricter uh, gun laws and and stricter background checks when it comes to purchasing guns. And I mean, I'm curious yeah. what, what your take is on that. Um, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that, um, I think that it's unacceptable. I think it's unacceptable that we have a system in place and because of legitimate laziness, it's not being implemented. Um, I, I want to, I think that the people involved um, in these type of instances, when they fail to do their job, they are they are directly impacting lives, and mm-hmm. um, and this is a clear case of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, ultimately, it comes down to and and just to reiterate that uh, that point of like how technology is playing a role here is that when when you look at when the iPhone really started booming, right? Um, when you look at all of when technology really just started growing, like computers got better look at the trend with these mass shootings. Look at the video games that are a part of our society and accepted and and what they're doing. There's so many factors here uh, where technology Mm -hmm. and the exposure to it can, can uh, create these habits or these ways of thought that are, um, you know, critical to our, like to our safety. Mm -hmm. We live, you know, we live in a world um, in America. That's not really the world. It's America though. And, and, And people that don't understand like these kids, these kids that were exposed to this terrible, terrible shooting they they woke up in the morning and they had no idea that that was going to happen mm-hmm. um some of them in the room are currently you know like the rotc kids that you hear about that were doing really cool stuff for the students during the event but a lot of these kids have absolutely no space in their day-to-day thought process to even consider that as a reality in their life mm-hmm. and, and, well, and you effect- mentioned sorry i just want to uh use that as a transitioning point kind of that you mentioned earlier something about training students with this and and how does that relate to kind of what you're just saying like yeah students you know they are going to school they're not thinking about that that they're gonna experience a mass shooting like what you know yeah yeah like that's this is this is the the thing where where we're real time i think you every classroom you go do like a Smokey the bear type of little fun course you know twice a year for these kids Instead of it doing Smokey, Smokey the Barrier, we need to get Pixar or whoever to make a really cool little short video, a 20-minute thing that is – because right now these kids are exposed. Everyone in the country are currently talking about this issue. Yeah. And, well, and so it's not new. It's not yeah. new. And so we can convert that energy of being a victim and being scared and not knowing what to do. We can convert it with a really good way of presenting this information to children and teaching them the right way of like – it's unacceptable. I'm sorry. It's unacceptable. If you're a student and you are capable of jumping on that fight on that on that guy with that shooting guns as you're walking by the hallway and, and you're running away, 
if you're not shot, you should be jumping on that person because you're likely going to be shot and you're likely, you know, why not just go for it? And that's a mindset that in the moment we can ingrain in these kids fundamentally. Well, and I think that's be... I think that's like the the fight or flight kind of notion that we're talking yes. about here. And I think I mean kids these days are growing up with not only fire drills but with mass shooting drills. And that for me is a really scary, sad reality now. But I think going along with that with that notion of fight or flight, like a, I think that's a lot of um, pressure to put on Absolutely. kids in schools to be able to do that kind of action. And it and it it makes like if I'm envisioning myself in that position as you were talking that out like okay this is Taylor back in high school now and like I'm going through this training about how I'm gonna terrifying. jump on this guy with a AR-15 you know rifle yeah. like that makes me feel like I'm in a war zone you know and that's where but this you is are. but you are but we're in America too like but you're in a war zone in that in that circumstance Taylor you are as much as you don't want to like accept that, if that's the case, it, it is the second that round fires off, you are in a war zone. You are you are in a position where you are either going to die or you can fight and try and survive. And what and that's the fundamental point that I want to teach these kids is to have that mindset. And if they're gonna be aware of the problem, let's give them a way to empower themselves in it and deal with it in a way that they can find strength, where they don't live in a place of being a victim and being scared where they mm-hmm. feel like maybe they can step up. I want to believe, Taylor. I, I really want to believe that if you and I were in a position and an active shooter became a reality and I got hit and there was a way for you to drag me to safety and you you would do that for me because everyone, you know, I want to believe the best in everyone and that they would show up and make it happen yeah. for me and help me. And but I think that's also we- like a place of major trauma that growing up in the United States people like like that's why people come to to the United States so that they don't have to be in that mindset that they are in a war zone especially yeah. going to school but but we you know we are but we are so here's here's are. a here's a, something that I want to better understand what is the fundamental difference between the United States and the United States culture and our gun culture and the way that we live and the way that everyone else in the world lives and uh, how how are we so similar in so many ways? And yet so different when well, it comes to... Well, and yet the United States is the only place that has hundreds of mass shootings every year. Well, I believe since, like the 1960, since the 1960s, we've had like 1,100, about 1,100 deaths when like related to mass shootings. And that's, I guess, you know, people, four, four more people, including the guy that got shot or uh, did the crime, has to, you know, four people is what qualifies as a mass shooting. But with other countries who have found a way to respond to a mass shooting in a way that actually eliminates mass shootings, what is so different about the way they are and what they're doing? And why is it so difficult for us to implement any of that? If you look at Australia... Yeah, let's look at Australia. That's a great example. Australia, I believe they, like back in the 60s or whatever... Or I, I'm I, I've been reading. It was all the sixties. It okay, was it was so, nineteen ninety six actually. Mm-hmm. Ninety six. So either way, when they did their buyback, they bought back a third of their weapons. Mm-hmm. Two thirds of the people that remained with their weapons, they are still those weapons still exist. But the point in the statistics is that Australia, like fundamentally, has never had a major major issue with mass shootings. The way that even in that time um, time zone, America was going through the same things. So. It's, it's like all the way down to the very get-go. There's a difference between 
where we're at and where they're at. But uh, I think that they also didn't let it get to that, though, that they took that one that one instance was it all it took for them, it seems like. For- well, it's convenient to say that. It's convenient to say that with, with you know, the limited... Uh, scope that we have on it. I know that there's still crime. Well, limited, also, limited scope in what sense? In in the actual the actual statistics that you're you're digesting. I think that we know a lot about America and, and we feel like an intimate connection to America and what's going on here. I think talking to, like I know from my friends that are Australian are like take the guns away. Like we don't have any crime. I know that there's a very drastic change in crime. Uh, yeah, well, re- and they like still have crime, but it's not these, you know, major mass shootings of innocent people. Um, we did get a letter from someone who brought up, you know, Australia. We had a few, actually, emails and tweets related to this. Uh, and I want to read you what this person's letter was and maybe get some of your thoughts on it as we're talking it through. Yeah. So she says, I would be curious to know your take on Australia and Canada and how different our gun laws are versus the U.S. With Australia, they made all automatic and semi-automatic weapons illegal after a mass shooting in 1996, and there hasn't been one since. Here in Canada, our gun laws and process to own a gun are very strict and mass shootings are very uncommon here. Yet in both of these places, mental health issues are rampant, just like in the States. Our laws did not eradicate mental health issues. So does this not bode the question as to whether it is unreasonable to blame mental health issues for these tragedies? And why, when it is a white male shooter, is this always the catch-all phrase to explain the tragedy away or avoid dealing with the real issue, the culture of gun violence in the USA? An example of a wholesale change in culture would be when it comes to drunk driving related to deaths. There was a time it was legally and socially acceptable to drive intoxicated. After thousands of deaths, the laws changed, and slowly but surely there was a cultural shift, and it is no longer accepted in society. Did the laws eliminate all deaths related to drunk driving? Of course not, but they certainly dramatically reduced the numbers. We must start somewhere. To say laws don't have an impact is like saying they shouldn't exist in society at all. To continue to use mental health as a scapegoat is really disrespectful of those who suffer from mental health issues and do not go around killing innocent children. Anger and rage are not mental health disorders, and they shouldn't be labeled as such. The ability for anyone to walk in and buy a semi-automatic weapon as easily as buying a quart of milk has to change. Mental health issues are abundant everywhere, but mass shootings are not. With anywhere from 8 to 18 school shootings having occurred in the U.S. in the past six weeks alone, depending on the news source, it is not only time to change the narrative, it is time to change the culture. Yep. Totally. So you think that does, that does highlight just the incredible difference in culture between uh, the way that the yeah. Australians think and the way that the Americans think? Well, so, so you think it's, it's then it's kind of too late, like we're, we're too far past. It, to me, I perceive it like it's not necessarily like the general basis of our cultures. I think we have so many overlapping and like aligned ways of, as a culture compared to Australia. Mm-hmm. But I think our left and right lateral limits and how far uh, the level of the amount of people that are like exposed to a way of thinking that's drastically different than the normal person and how they're coping. We have a, we have an extreme um, highlight of that going on here where, where our nutcases are way more of a nutcase than where other places in this world have nutcases and, and what they're, and maybe, um, maybe the the difficult gun reg- regulations are, w- which I'm 100% supportive of trying to figure those things out to make them more difficult. Maybe that has a direct connection to it, and we'll find out because 
I think we're like America's due for some upgrades when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, um, America, Beyonce needs to let me upgrade you. Um, yeah, like- <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's, I mean, first, I just want to caution against referring to people struggling with mental illness as nutcases. Um, but I think. Well, it's- yeah, well, I, I, I don't mean mentally ill here. That's the thing is that I, I, I know that there's this huge misperception or misconception about like if you're mentally ill, you're associated with violence. And that's not the case. But. Uh, the people, I, I'm not trying to lump them into what the media is calling the issue here. I'm saying like the actual people that are like, and some of them aren't even crazy. That's even the, the crazier part is they're just completely in control. And you mean some of the, some of the mass murderers aren't, aren't what you would call. Okay. So that's where, I mean, it's, it's hard for me. And this is where I want to like really try to understand where you're coming from, because I think there are like you certainly are not the only person who is thinking this way. And there are ways that I disagree with you and there are ways that I agree with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think what we see when these mass shootings happen is that people categorize themselves into it's a mental health issue. It's a gun issue and that we don't Mm -hmm. look at it as a whole. And where I was interested to hear your perspective was from your tweets. It was sounding like you were saying mental health should be getting the attention right now, not guns. And th- that was and, where and I- Go ahead. specifically when I say mental health and, and if we were in the, like diving into that, I mean the actual process The the person who, for instance, with this, this guy, Nicholas Cruz in Florida, he was identified, uh, I believe it was 39 times he had been in, in contact with authorities. He had been, you know, there were people that had already had an assessment over what kind of person this guy was. Um, and there's failures there. There's failures. There's obligations that the health, the mental health community and the gun community both need to make a priority in the way that people are acquiring, acquiring weapons. Well, and I think that that's done and, at a federal level. And that's what people, well, I but think. At the ground, I'm talking about at the ground floor, the person that actually had eyes on this person and did not go report it to the correct database. So... So I've never gone and tried to purchase a gun. I don't know specifically. I didn't find specific details on what is included in background checks before purchasing mm-hmm. a gun. Um, I did learn, you know, in at least nine of these last 18 recent mass shootings that that these people bought their guns legally and through a federal background check. So, there, and, so, and that, just to correct you is it's not 18 mass shootings. It's 18 school shootings. That is technically the there. And out of those, there's only three of them are actual mass shootings. The rest of them are, you're talking about random, random uh, discharges in a school because, mm-hmm, you know, yes, yeah. I think, I believe that's how every town uh, documents is, yeah. their shootings. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, I appreciate and I think the differences there are important. For me, it still is like, well, that's still not okay. (laughs) Um, But they, and at least nine of these gunmen of these 18 had criminal histories or documented mental health problems. And it still, they still were able to pass the background checks or get a hold of these weapons. So what specifically... Are, are you advocating for? So how this works, right? If I live in California and I want to go buy a weapon, I go to the, I go to my local gun shop or whatever. I can go take a written test. It's like 30 questions or something. And boom, I pa- if I pass that, I'm good to go. Now I can go fill out a bunch of documentation that that, uh, that vendor has access to a website. That's really just a database that the FBI 
uh, created. It's called the NICS database. It's like the National Instant Check System or something. And, and it's composed of a couple of different um, other sub-databases, particularly with like criminal history records, another database for where you've got like warrants and protection and, and where there's like pending stuff going on. You've got guys that are no shit been flagged as people that are prohibited. That's where all that information is found. And it's, and it's being supplied by the FBI and their funding there. And so when that vendor is submitting, right, what they're submitting to is a database that realistically out of 50 states, 38 of our states right now, as far as our gun controls, are submitting less than 80% of the information and the records that they are obligated to submit. Uh, like the numbers there is we currently have over 7,000 individuals in this country that can go buy a weapon under our current system and not get red flagged because of the the ill uh, manner that our state level um, is documenting, recording, and, and ingesting this into the database. And so that's identified. That's something that needs to get fixed immediately. And so, so you so you think it's it's this kind of the, the holes in the system on that level that are are really a significant issue. Yes. Yeah. Why do you think the why do you think the states and those that are responsible for kind of mo- not only monitoring but enforcing all of these background checks? Why do you think they've been so negligent for so long? And why aren't both government officials and the public why why isn't there more pressure being put on them to follow laziness? Through? Because it's you a, think it's, it's just laziness. It's no, it, it's it's beyond. So I, I kind of fall back to my experience in the Marine Corps. I, I was fortunate being with special forces to work around guys that were very motivated, very self-driven, critical thinkers, right? But a lot of the people in the military, they're very willing to just go with the flow. My my take from seeing um, this mass this mass blanket laziness, where because it's an it, so wait, I mean, so all these people that are that are working in in gun stores, they're all just saying, oh, all these school shootings, the eh, yes, nothing I do is going to affect it. It's they're doing so people are taking they're contracts. doing it for the money. Okay, that's there's interesting. there's money going on here. Like these programs that are all stood up and being funded by tax dollars. The the money is being spent. It's being uh, spent to quota because if you don't spend it, you lose it. Right. That's the mindset in this type of environment. And so you think it's it's just it's government's lack of motivation. Uh, well, that I, is, I can that... tell you the Parkland shooting. If if would have been um, from from down at the ground floor all the way up to like where the records are being held all the way up to where the FBI had done physical actual face-to-face interviews with people that had reported this guy there's so much information that's uh being swept like under the rug here that that's unexcusable to me uh knowing that it's a real thing and that and that it's too easy to blame um something so easy as it's a weapons issue it's it's not just a mental health issue either it's it's a fundamental process that's being failed. Right. So you right. do agree that, or agree with me, I guess, that it is also an issue with guns and how they are bought or acquired, that it is not just a mental health issue, because I think that that, that almost is trying to oversimpl- oversimplify it and is also, I mean, st- statistically inaccurate. Um, and so I think what a lot of people are seeing now with the students is that they are pushing for stricter gun legislation. And that's not, I mean, I don't know specifically, uh, what the legislation would say that they are advocating for. I have not done that research, but I don't think that when talking about gun control, that 
that the majority necessarily means banning everything. I think the New York Times did a poll and uh, 92% of gun owners supported stricter background checks. And that's something most everyone can agree on. But I think we get in like a very slippery slope when almost kind of blaming mental health for these mass shootings because people struggling with mental illness are more likely to be victims of a violent crime than they are to yeah. perpetrate oh, yeah. a crime. Totally. Like they're 1% of like major crime is a, is a mentally ill person committing it. It's, it's not that big of a number. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just that they're, what they're doing is very, very drastic compared. They're, they're, you know, they're. No, I mean, t- <laughs> typically, typically when someone struggling with mental illness is using a gun, it is for suicide. Or using yeah. violence in any way. Or, or using violence, it's violence towards against themselves. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's like a really big misconception that people oftentimes think, you know, when hearing mental health and gun violence in the same sentence that, you know, it's really hard to fathom someone doing something so, you know, heinous like this. We actually received a letter from someone who I think said it really well. She said... To grasp why this proposed connection between mental illness and violence is so incorrect and harmful, one must understand the facts. According to the American Psychiatric Association, the APA, less than 1% of gun-related homicides are committed by someone with someone uh, with a serious mental illness. In addition, only 3% of violent crimes in general are perpetrated by people with serious mental illness. In total, this is 4%. In the majority of the mass shootings we hear about, the person is not mentally ill. They may be lonely, resentful, have evil in their heart, or have a thirst for power and recognition, but none Mm -hmm. of these things equate to a mental illness. Someone can be a bad person without being mentally ill, and someone can be mentally ill without being a bad person. Yep. Yep. That's why there's, the you know, when you break it down, it's about the ones and zeros here. It's about, it's the mental, if you only are talking about Mental. I know that I said we need to focus on that and and more in depth. If you know, if I were being um, sharing on Twitter, like my in depth opinion, I would have spoke to the mm-hmm. process behind the mental health and and focusing on that because I know that in the instance of the mm-hmm. shooting, uh, that that gap would have prevented uh, him from buying a weapon. And and then now we can talk about well, people still are going to acquire weapons if they want it. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I think that if you take away an assault, and this is the kind of stuff where I don't even want to talk in depth because I don't want to perpetuate ideas that can strengthen someone into uh, adapting and overcoming the current societal circumstance that people don't want us to have these weapons. Yeah, and that was something that I believe I saw you tweet as well that, you know, people are going to find a way to do these things regardless when someone brought up, you know, that we're just trying to prevent guns from getting in the hands yeah. of irresponsible people. But and and someone then suggesting you're like, yeah, like, shouldn't we make that a little bit harder for them at least? Like, we know that people will do whatever it takes to, you know, get a hold yep. of something if, if that's what they are, you know, strongly desiring to do, but that we should at least still put things in place. And the tweet that I had read from you, like, Definitely was hard for me to digest because it it was very against that, like kind of laughing at like making things yeah, a tad no, bit harder. I, I think I, I, I'm coming from a background where I think that before we start messing with actual like rights, we can talk about constructive movement forward saying, hey, let's not mess with the second because there's going to be drawback. Let's spend that money that we would have to spend to do this over here. Let's spend it on filling up our schools with security 
Let's, let's uh, maybe fill spend it on like helping, helping <laughs> kids, mental... uh, helping the mental health, like <laughs> yeah, all the mental across health the board, communities. And I mean, let's instead of arming teachers, I think maybe helping provide them with better, you know, resources to then help students so that we aren't going down this path where people are seeking violence to cope with their problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if we just go to an extreme, just as a thought experiment, what would be, what would be first, what would be your ideal? Like there's all this debate about we should do this, we shouldn't do this. If, if money wasn't, wasn't an issue, like if you look fast forward five or 10 years, what would you see as like an ideal situation of the way that the gun law works and the way that the whole system works? Um, I would say that everything, everything, every point that I've tried to point out in the holes of it, um, I want to see those fixed. I want to see, I want to see the uh, police officer. Like I want the the actual in depth subliminal um, training at the at the schoolhouse for these police officers to incorporate a mindset and a trainingism that makes them compelled to actually go complete their job when it when they're done with the uh, with the dispute or with the person that they're meeting up with because of a call. Of, you know, there's a fight going on or whatever. So then, um, you think they, ed- education and yeah. and and cleaning up the existing system. Yeah, I think that we start with it, it's all there. That's the thing is like there is a system that is working. It is stopping people from uh, purchasing weapons, uh, but there's so much data that's not being utilized to protect us, and and unfortunately that data is is 100 relevant to this. I know you don't want to live in a war zone, but when you walk into a gas station, does the thought of that gas station might get robbed while you're in it cross your mind? Because if it if it's not, then it's not it's I'm sorry, but I feel like you should consider that being a reality and being prepared when you walk into a shady gas station, right? That same mindset we need to apply across the board here. Just as a hypothetical as a thought experiment, is there if someone would uh, say they went to the future and they came back and they were like, you know what? We found out that less guns equals less gun violence. And actually by diminishing the amount of guns in the United States by a significant margin, I'm not saying we should, I'm just saying hypothetically, if someone was to come and say, we did, we crunched all the numbers and actually if you lower the amount of guns by an extreme proportion to what they are now, uh, that gun violence uh, and gun deaths go down significantly. If yeah, you had well, I, positive proof of that, would you, uh, would your tone change at all towards how guns are regulated? So if there were a legitimate, like the factual basis of what you're proposing, then I would, I wouldn't have an argument. I would, that's, that's fact. I, I, um, but the truth is that that has been fact in literally every country other than the United States. That's excusing every you're, you're, you're single pleasing. one. What I see in that, though, is you're trying to please a perspective and you're trying to please a problem over here. No, I'm just looking so at the statistics re- and saying that in all the countries where gun, where gun ownership goes down, gun violence also goes down. And any time statistically across the board, you can talk about states, you can talk about countries, any time – those two things and those two factors are always directly proportional. Where guns I, go down, I, I can, gun violence. I can goes understand down. that what you're trying, what you're trying to portray is is this fact, and I get that. I, I'm not going to deny the fact that there is a connection there if that's the case. 
But what I am saying well, is that it is the case. Uh, yeah. Well, there's repercussions to taking weapons away from Americans. We are America. Well, we I think that it impacts the it impacts the gun culture. And in one of your tweets, you said something about you know me and the rest of gun loving Americans, and right. and that phrase yeah. right there. No, no, let I mean, me know. I'm talking about the real problems. I'm talking about the world that we really live in, where there's like go. You know what? Like it, it's it's one of those things where if you go travel to certain parts of the world and you see that this is a world that I, there's no way that I'm ever going to forfeit my ability uh, to. I don't look at statistics all you want, but think you, there's always a statistic that is got the victim in it, and that victim deserves the right that if they were you know walking down the street, if they felt they wanted to, they deserve the right to have a weapon on them. And they deserve the right to, in that one instance, that one person does deserve the right to protect themselves. And and unfortunately, that's like the catch-22 here. Yeah. I, and I, 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 he- I hear that. Rod, and I think you know, I definitely, like, that's something I think about, like, as a very physically weak, tiny woman. Like, when I'm by myself, that is something I think about, of, like, how can I protect myself? And I think in, in this conversation, what what you would use for that would be a gun. And from this research that I've been doing, one of the things the, you know, talking about stats, uh, Harvard Politics came out with statistics that for every time a gun is used in self-defense, there are seven assaults, 11 suicide attempts, and four accidents in or around a home. So that in reality, you're more likely to die at the hands of your own gun than you are to protect your family by shooting someone else. And I know that you know, training and stuff comes into that and actually having experience. And that's something I've learned that you've voiced throughout your uh, tweets, you know, that like you people need to be trained on this. And even I forget the NYPD actually released that they had an accuracy of shooting people like in up close quarters of 18 percent. And that that's not a lot. And that's not like that doesn't give me confidence with like even being protected Mm -hmm. by someone else that has a gun. Like that just makes me like personally and not talking statistics anymore, but that makes me personally feel even more like I wouldn't trust anyone that had a gun near me. Yeah, but I mean, are you telling me if you were in a, if you're in an active shooting environment, you wouldn't want the police officer next to you protecting you. You wouldn't want the random guy that's concealing to actually draw his weapon and take care of that problem. Like you would, if you were in the situation, if you were the person that was about to lose your life, you would be desperately looking for someone to help you. And so removing that, that possibility is, is to me, it's, it's just, it's hard to accept that. It's hard. Yeah. I hear that. And I, and I would, yeah, like I've never been in a war zone. So like, I, I don't know. And I think that I absolutely would want someone to help me and, if the only way that they had available to help me was with a gun, then then maybe that would be all I had. But at the same time, in my head and in my heart right now, if I put myself in that place, I would be really frustrated that that person who was attacking me or who was the attacker had that gun in the first place. And I think that's something that the students at this Florida school were voicing. They were tweeting, you know, there was one girl who was recorded oh, yeah, video. Like, how could that, this guy have had a gun? Yeah, that they were pissed. Trying to catch the problem upstream. Yeah, of that course. they were pissed in the first place. Like, yes, there was a guard on school campus who but, had a weapon and the police could come in with weapons and then everyone could have weapons. But that in the first place, they were like, why is this weapon even allowed to be in the hands of civilians? This re- this rifle used specifically for killing as much as possible, as fast as possible. Why was this even allowed to happen? And I think that's where, for me, when if I put myself 
in that situation, I would be asking a lot of the questions that these students are asking. We answered them between the, the actual police officers and sheriffs involved, between the school system and the actual human beings and the, mm-hmm. and the children involved. Every single layer of things we failed at. And, and, mm-hmm. and to me, we are answering these questions that people are like, why, why, why? Yeah. And I think, and I think we, we need to keep answering them. And I think that's part of why I wanted to invite you to have this conversation today to seemingly people on opposite ends or in different places of where of, and how we discuss this public health crisis. Learning how to have these conversations, I think, will help us get to a better place legislatively, stately, you know, societally, um, to a place where we perhaps see a, a reduction in these mass shootings and less of a attack on people mm-hmm. struggling with mental health. Because in reality, the people struggling with mental health need that funding. They need those resources. They need the stigmatization and the negativity around mental health to be reduced. Um, and I think it certainly needs to change how we have these conversations. And I think we changed that a little bit today in this conversation. Um, I really do respect, you know, you sharing your viewpoints on all of this, just putting yourself out there to have this conversation. Uh, it's not always an easy one. Well, it's important, Taylor. It's, 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 it's you know, that's why I, I said, hey, people like me, because at the end of the day, we're, there's so many sides to this. And, and it's, it's important, especially if people are trying to have real conversations and get to the bottom of this. I'm not saying that I know it all and I know that you're not doing that. So it's good to come together. Um, it's good to, to hear some perspectives. I appreciate your questions and, um, and giving me a chance to kind of shed light on my side. I know that we don't agree on everything, but at the end of the day, it's, it, it, I think we are, um, we are going towards the, the you know, the same, same uh, resolve. So, yeah. And, and I would absolutely love, you know, you mentioned something earlier about not, not going fully into it on Twitter, but I think the points that you brought up here and, and the way that you communicated things here, I think I was able to receive in a in a much better way than I was. Oh, I know, and personally I can, I can perceiving think through your you know, Twitter. I'm, I'm a very sorry, like when it comes to Twitter, I don't really use it. So um, I let my friends, I let my mm-hmm. friends post on it. I let uh, it's kind of like that place where you can just go. Just well, do you do have a following and you do have people that, you know, listen to you. And and I think even for me doing the podcast, like it's a place to try to educate and to try to model if I can in, in any way. Not to say that that's ever perfect, but, you know, I really appreciate the things that you shared on here and, and would definitely love to see more of that um, on social media from you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I appreciate the discussion too. It was, it was. Yeah, man, it was nice to actually have a conversation where where you're able to talk about things and, and not get so defensive about it and just hear it out. All right. Well, hopefully, I'll uh, see you next time I'm down in California. Yeah, hit me up. It was nice talking to you guys. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Alex. Later. So, one thing reflecting on this conversation with Alex that I find really interesting, and I think is something that people would find across the board is looking at how someone's expressing themselves through social media may not be the same as when you actually invite them to have a, you know, level ground, uh, calming, productive conversation. Right. Which goes back to even what he was talking about with media and how they're looking for the thing on Twitter that gets the retweets and the responses. A lot of it is this... uh, trolling game and that that can really muddle the conversation yeah and it definitely makes people pick sides more it like i i definitely thought going into the conversation that we were going to be more on separate sides and i was going to feel very defensive and feel like 
you know, just flabbergasted at the opinions that he was expressing because it's how I felt reading them online. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to go in this conversation. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm going to have to do a lot of deep breathing here. But when you actually invite someone to have a productive conversation and you let those walls down and you just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to try to understand their perspective and hear them out. I think you'll see that you find a very different perspective. And whether you agree with them or not, you're at yeah. least able to go, okay. Yeah, there were still things I disagreed with, but I think it, it was presented in a much different way that didn't cause me to feel as defensive or as defensive as I think some of these other people responding to some of his tweets would have felt. And that's what I hope the whole conversation does is that we get because these it feels like every time something happens yep. you get this you get a version of a very similar conversation that gets batted back and forth mm-hmm. on social media and in the news and even in just regular old conversation and I think finding a way to break through those sound bites and get to the whatever the heart of the issue is. Um, in all of its many onion-like layers that make you cry sometimes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) A few tears shed. Uh, But I think there's a lot of onions and sometimes a lot of tears and definitely can feel like a little helpless. I know even doing the research for some of this, I was like, oh my God, this is just terrible. This is all so terrible. And it was really hard to take all this in, but there are good things we can do. And there are reputable organizations um, out there that are helping provide this information and that we can be active with. I was, I was thinking just in regards to the fact that we, we talk about even guns a lot with, with like self-defense or what are you going to do if you're in a situation where you wish someone had a gun? And I was thinking like this, this, is, this is a privilege I have for sure, but I've never, I've never been in a situation mm-hmm. where I've been... Uh, confronted with a gun, with someone that had a gun. But I have been in lots of situations where people have attacked or assaulted with a lot of misinformation. Mm -hmm. That, that is a thing that's very, very common. And that's a thing that is, you know, that's not, that's not a thing that is like guns, an an important thing to talk about, but not something I deal with all the time. I don't own one and very few people around me. I've never been in a conflict situation that involved guns, but I've been in a lot of situations where lies, misinformation, Mm -hmm. um, and untruths are being Mm -hmm. spouted. Harsh opinions on sides that aren't relevant. Absolutely. There was someone who wrote us a letter who perhaps has a little bit more experience or experiences with guns in terms of attacks. She says, I personally am a gun owner. In fact, someone shot a bullet through our kitchen window last week and being home alone, I felt much safer after grabbing my gun and having protection with me until my husband got home and the officer got there. I believe that in this situation, the bad guy still would have a gun, even if they were illegal and still would have shot at our house. The difference is, he would have probably known that there was no way he had, we had guns inside and probably would have come into the house and done things that were worse than shooting out a $200 window. Also, as a gun owner, I do believe that it is too easy to buy firearms. The background test is not comprehensive enough. That or teachers, employees, police, etc. should be able to add to a database the recommendations of everyone's mental health. And that collectively should be taken into account during the background check. Just as a mental health history with a therapist or doctor isn't enough. I also read a statistic today that said 90% of shooters are male. I haven't fact-checked this, but if it is true, 
Maybe part of the problem is how we raise our men. Throughout history, men have been raised to a ludicrous standard of what it looks like to be a macho man. Could the way we raise men to think affect their mental health, thus affecting the statistic? I don't know, just food for thought. You know, I think that is actually one of the most important things. I think the way that young males are socialized, ages two, three, four, by the time you get that far, unless you've had some kind of socialization that finds a way to work through those uh, anger tendencies or uh, ways of resolving conflict or ways of getting attention, often some of these uh, conditions and ways of thinking are ingrained in these young males. And the only way sometimes they know how to get any attention is to act out. Or the only way they know how to resolve something is to act violently in some way. And so I think it's a very, very important point that the root does go way, way, way deep. It does. Of course, it goes past guns. Uh, but in, in young males, finding a way to notice these trends, and not even trends of, oh, I think they're going to have a gun, but they're not being socialized correctly. They haven't learned how to resolve conflict. They haven't learned how to find an acceptable place within society. Yeah. That's dangerous, we, really dangerous. We got a letter that actually spoke directly to this point. Uh, she's a college student getting her master's degree for public health right now. She's taking a maternal and child health class. She says, believe it or not, this gun violence problem is a maternal child health issue in some ways. This gun violence issue is a public health issue in general. We treat all sorts of health risk behaviors with public health programs, and I fully believe that gun violence is a treatable health risk behavior too. Now, where the maternal child health portion comes in is the life course perspective. The gun violence these shooters commit is a health risk behavior which can be attributed to, the, to their complex life course perspective from child to adult and so on. This means to me that we need to intervene in children and young adolescents to teach them healthy, acceptable behaviors, how to rationalize their actions instead of punishing them without helping them understand their actions, and coping methods for stressful times. Those things all would help individuals grow into healthy, sound-minded human adults. Without these types of support, I believe that this is where mental health issues develop. There's an old saying that says, if all you have is a hammer, then every problem starts looking like a nail. Yeah. Yeah. Look at you, so wise. I I think some people think of, well, violence is going to be a thing and the only way to to confront it is with more violence. But Mm -hmm. often if if a violent, like a gun. Yeah, well, that's where like just saying, oh, there's a gun problem. Let's just give everyone more guns. That logic isn't sound. When people want to bring up the mental health argument in relation to gun violence, I I can get on board because it's saying that we as a society with how we raise our daughters and our sons and our theys and theirs, that we are educating them, that they are able to be in touch with their feelings. They're able to develop some emotional intelligence. Yeah. Uh, able to resolve conflict <laughs> Yes. They understand what their coping skills are to where they yeah. don't need to resort to violence in order to cope with that. And that's where, like, when we look at the gunmen and the shooters who don't suffer from serious mental illness, which most of them don't, mm-hmm. uh, that it's a... It, this is their way of coping with their pain and their stress and, and whatever else is going on, but that it's not like 
this is something that, that they could have learned a different way to handle, but for whatever reason, the, the support in their life, the structures in their life, I mean, when you, like, not to say that they are the victims, but they are also people just like the rest of us. And yeah. it's really only a matter of choosing a different coping skill over a different one right? in order to go down that, that different path. You know what I mean? And that's, it's a scary place to think about because it's easier for us to dehumanize the shooters and empathize with the victims while I absolutely do. Um, but that there's going to keep being mass shooters. Right. And if we don't want these people, these other people who we love, you know, this kid has parents who love him just as like, I would love my child. Like, how do we not make sure that that ends up being your child right. that goes and it's all these issues going on inside and doesn't talk to anyone and doesn't, I mean, even when they do, like there isn't that support there. Like if we want to talk about mental health and mass shootings, then yeah, let's get funding for the mental health stuff so that people actually are talking about their feelings and it's not stigmatized and it's not made to be this negative thing that you're this animal monster person that you're not. Right, and and it's much easier for us to just say, oh well, he must have been a nutcase, or he must have been crazy right. to be able to do something like that. And it's like, no, he he doesn't even necessarily need to have a mental health disorder to do something like that. People snap. Yeah, sometimes it's it's a it's a repressed regression, mm-hmm. or, uh, um, an anger, mm-hmm. an aggression. I said regression, aggression <laughs> yeah. that that doesn't have an outlet. Yeah. So it, it, an interesting solution that I've seen brought up and, and I actually would agree with from, um, from some experience is when we look at this, even if mental health, we look at young kids, especially boys, mm-hmm. and we look at this need to be able to be in the world and feel safe. I think there's a couple ways you can do and it. Feel you can purpose. go And feel purpose and, and feel empowered. Yeah. I think you can go external mm-hmm. and you can say, if I have this thing on the outside of me, a gun. Mm-hmm. If I have this tangible object... And and then and then we feel safe. Mm-hmm. I think the only problem with that, if we if if, it, if we keep going, like if we, if we even just as a thought experiment, if we, if we go if we keep on that path, what we find is that there can and always will be someone with a bigger gun than you. Yeah. There or is other people with more guns. Always. Plural. Always. Yeah. That is going to be the case. And even if even if we get to a place where we say someone could, uh, you know. We need maybe protection from the military, from from the government. Who you know, they can't be the only ones yeah. with guns, and uh, that's kind of, kind of too late, I think, for that because the, the like the United States spends more money on its military than the rest of the countries combined. Like if they want to kill anyone, they can. Yeah. The only place it leads is you needing to one up the yeah. other guy with mm-hmm. the gun until yeah. everyone. And that's well, but so I think there's another way to go though. Mm-hmm. I think what a lot of uh, really healthy people have figured out how to do is go internally. Yeah. And a lot of times the study of like a martial art, mm-hmm. um, jujitsu or Krav Maga or any kind of karate. Oh, these do you kinds happen things, to have any experience with that? I do. I train in Krav Maga. Oh. And it is one of the things that I found really, really helpful because it can do this many of the yes. same things. Mm-hmm. It can give you a sense of confidence to be able to walk into a situation and be aware, mm-hmm. to be able to switch on when you have the ability to go fight or flight. Yep. It has you learn the ability to flip into flight mode when yeah. it's appropriate, but also mm-hmm. know when it's okay to flip yeah. into flight mode and just get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. You learn about yourself. You learn about your own limitations. Yeah. You you realize that you don't know everybody. You can look mm-hmm. and see if someone has a bigger gun than you, and then feel threatened or whatever. But the internal confidence that it takes to be able to stand there and and 
hold your own ground yeah. energetically with where you are is something that no one can take away from you. Yeah. Sure, someone could take and pull, it, pull a gun mm-hmm. and shoot you, but they could do that whether you have a gun or not. Yeah. Well, and something uh, that Derek and I were actually talking about in the preparation for this episode was this need to have a gun Mm -hmm. that, like, we're hearing that that I was, you know, envisioning Alex to be in this category of people Mm -hmm. that, in my mind, when people are defending NRA, defending bans on assault rifles for civilians, that... They're doing that over protecting, like, innocent lives of children, of children. That there is so much fear that 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 person, like, I really, I tried to put myself in that place. And I was just like, I felt like, no, I need to have my gun. I need need Mm to, don't take my gun away from me. I can see part of it is, like, this upholding of Second Amendment, but that's a whole other conversation. I thought, and I was like, that would be me living in such a place of fear that I needed to, like, live in in a world that was, like, trying to bring me down and attack me and kill me at every turn. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I already deal with part of that being a woman and a tiny person and, you know, being a person of color, like... Those things are already at play. I can't imagine also feeling like this need to have a gun. And it was just like, if we could move, if we could dig deeper to those layers of like, why do you have your gun? No, but really why? Like if we look at the statistic here, if we look at this, that for every time a gun is used in self-defense, for every one time you try to defend yourself with a gun, there's seven assaults, 11 suicide attempts, Four accidents. And that was the most interesting one for me. You're four times likely to get hurt by an accident with a gun. Than you are to actually protect yourself. So yes. to me, that or argument... Or even be just, presented with an opportunity to protect yourself. Yes. And and for four me, times. that's where it's like, what, this shouldn't even be an opportunity for an argument anymore. Because if you are four times more likely to have an accident than you are to actually defend yourself with a gun... There's no need. I'd be like, I'm not taking that chance. No, thank you. <laughs> right. No, thank you. So, 11 suicide attempts for every try of self-defense. Like, so, that's- so you're just like, what are you afraid of? Yeah. At your core, what is it that makes you so, so afraid? And I wonder then, uh, again, I just have to go internally and say, mm-hmm. I, I believe there's, and I've found there's always things on the inside that are reflecting on the outside. And yeah. There's always things on the outside that are reflecting on the inside. That's just the way that mm-hmm. kind of the inner worlds and the outer worlds work. And often a deep-seated inner fear is expressed mm-hmm. into the outer world. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it get, I think what I found is I'll get a little off balance when I try to compensate an internal thing. Yeah, it, like an internal. You're trying to overcompensate that intangible internally with a material, tangible thing externally. Yes, like I don't know how to be with myself, so I have to be in a relationship. Yep. And maybe sometimes, and, and, and to think while I'm in the relationship that if you take me away from it, mm-hmm. it seems it seems horrible. Like I could not function yeah. until I learn like I am now, mm-hmm. to be very okay with myself. Mm-hmm. I don't need that relationship. Yep. Therefore. The work I, I feel has been done internally mm-hmm. so that this fear, this loneliness 
that used to express itself into the outer world doesn't express itself in the same yeah. way anymore. And that's where I come to if if someone can learn to confront their fear and have an outlet for their aggression yeah. and have a way to express very powerfully their masculine energy. Mm-hmm. And that's why which I say through, which is awesome, but yeah. finding a way to do it constructively through a thing that, that requires discipline, that mm-hmm. requires a lot of self-control, that mm-hmm. requires a lot of, of, of focus and a building up of, of who you are yeah. on the inside. That I think is, is, is a really important place to focus and maybe even mm-hmm. a, a more effective way to deal with that fear. Yeah, well, and I think that's the the piece of that that we don't get is through our education and through mm-hmm. our, you know, ability to fund mental health resources for people to actually, you know, go into therapy and like figure that shit out. Yeah. Like, because that's tough stuff to do on your own. Um, and you brought up masculinity and Jackson Katz, uh, K-A-T-Z, he mm-hmm. does a lot of work on masculinity and was someone I was really hoping to have as a guest on this episode. He does a lot of work with like male violence and the issues around masculinity in America. Uh, he also covered, and I believe he has a book about Hillary running for president and the differences between like male and female energies mm. and whatnot and how masculinity played a role in politics. But he had this tweet over the weekend uh, that was really good and was basically saying, if all these shoes are mental health issue, you know, mm-hmm. why are 50% of these not perpetrated by women? When we say that, you know, women are far often more diagnosed with mental health issues than men are, and that even, getting to the root of that problem in yeah. and of itself shows that there that there is a component missing. That is where the mental health is stigmatized and it's not masculine to go and get help and that mm-hmm. you're able to protect yourself because you're a man and you're strong and you know you have your gun there's some sense of emotional health of it's not just i have a diagnosable Mm -hmm. imbalance in the brain part of it is that emotionally or a part of our personality and maybe it does come from the way that the way we're raised what however that is and the inability to express that masculine energy in a positive way Mm -hmm. those are all those are all factors those are all factors and and i think you know we'll i'll agree with, with a lot of people including alex that just you know straight out of the gate banning guns mm-hmm. is that's going to that would create more problems than it helps because because people are so attached to that and it exactly i think people for the most part are just starting at you know asking for what feels the most reasonable which is just stricter background checks and that's that that's a portion of gun control and then people get very defensive with that and they think that it's taking guns away and that's not it and then the only defense is to just say, oh well, it's people with mental health issues. This guy was crazy, and he focused on this guy, and that's that's not the route to go either. There's dialogue in the middle that I think has to happen, which is yes. what, what we're trying to do here, mm-hmm. uh, and and not deal as much with the the Twitter troll uh, kind of way of communicating. Yeah, because that's uh, but, just but have- pit- pitting us against each other even more, and. That's why, you know, my initial reaction to, like, his tweet was like, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. And, and I was like, you know what? Let's. <sighs> okay. Let, let me just. Let, let me be curious about this. Yeah. Let me explore this. Let me try to understand this because it's infuriating to me. And I'm glad that I did take that step. And I highly encourage the rest of you to try to take that step with maybe one person in your life. Like there's been a lot of Facebook 
conversations coming up over this topic. There's a lot of Twitter conversations about it. And I really appreciate this listener. She wrote in and shared with me what her Facebook post was. Okay. It's no secret that I am passionate about mental health. It's an issue that has directly affected my life, family, loved ones, and has shaped my future career goals. Mental health is an important issue in today's society. It is misunderstood, overlooked, and seems daunting because many do not want to put forth the effort to understand mental health issues. So hear me when I say that I am all for the advocacy for this world to understand and pursue solutions to the ever-increasing mental health issues of today. However, I have to say that it is so concerning to me to see everyone jump at a chance to say school shootings and other tragedies are due to mental health issues. Whenever the Florida shooting happened, the media was instantly flooded with questions of the shooter's mental stability. And while in this individual's specific case, there was a mental health factor involved, I can't help but see the inevitable problems that come from this immediate labeling. Mental health already has a stigma of being impulsive, dangerous, ostracized, medicated, scary, etc. And assuming that every shooter fits this mold is very wrong. I get it. It can be way easier to say they have depression or schizophrenia or they're just crazy rather than facing that sometimes evil overcomes an individual and they act out unjustly. But when you do this, you are further perpetuating the already horrific stigma that faces those with mental health. You're making it scarier for them to come out and get the help they need. You're making it easier for them to feel alone, judged, and grouped in with those individuals that are truly just heinous and evil. And as someone who hopes and prays to be an effective advocate for the, of those with mental health problems, I have to say this is the worst issue facing advocacy. So please investigate and research before you too become part of the perpetual problem in assuming that mental health equates evilness. Don't give in to the media when they choose to label this way either, unless it has been a confirmed fact. To do so is unfair to those that face everyday challenges of having a mental illness. Hashtag end the stigma. And the stigma. Yeah, it's it's layered. There's lots of lots of layers. It is. And I really want to thank everyone who wrote us about this issue. You guys sent the most thoughtful letters and Oh, they were long too <laughs> long, very, very well thought yes, out letters. Yes. Really, really, really great. And we have read all of them and I'm glad we got to share a few of them here. Uh, you know, this is a conversation, all the conversations we have here include all of us. And someone actually had wrote in encouraging that we have someone on the pod with an opposing view because this is such a polarizing topic. Mm. And, you know, I thank you for that input. We love your guys's feedback. It really means a lot. And just thank you for having the courage to like have these conversations and, and to share it, whether it's just with me or on your Facebook. Like it's important to keep speaking up about these things because we can't, just sit back and be silent about it. You know, we can disagree with each other and that's fine, but to do so respectfully. Yeah. So want to just give a few tips here before we wrap up because this can be a very heavy topic and it can feel very hopeless, but I want to encourage you guys to take breaks from social media and unplug, especially when mass shootings occur. You can get yourself down this spiral and it can feel like you're experiencing the trauma that the victims are feeling and just don't forget to give yourself breaks. You can get all the facts when the facts come out, you know, and do that research, but just space it out. We can't put it on ourselves to carry the weight of mm-hmm. all of these things. It is literally, uh, 
overwhelming. Yes, it we're, is. We didn't we weren't we didn't evolve to to be able to take in all the ev- tragic events that happened in the entire world. Yes, we kind of evolved to take in what was around mm-hmm. us, and we're, we we were meant to be empathetic around that. But yeah. it can get overwhelming yeah. if we let ourselves. T- open that faucet too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, a fire hose. definitely be empathetic, but remember self-care. And if yeah. you need to go back and listen to the caregiver self-care episode, <laughs> then that's what you got to do. Yeah. You guys can reach out to psychologytoday.com if you are interested in finding a therapist. Highly recommend that, you know, if these conversations get really tough and you feel like you're struggling, there is someone out there who will listen and is ready to help. Also, you guys can check out Every Town. They are a organization focused on covering these mass shootings and providing resources to people and educating communities on these issues. Also, I'd like to maybe lead out here if the wonderful Kit Bender wouldn't mind walking us through a little mini meditation. A little mini meditation. I think that would be... Just a little deep breathing to end this intense episode. A great idea. A really great idea. So we're we're actually going to do a little bit of a meditation that will involve a little bit of silence and a little bit of listening. So uh, in all of these moments of of silence, whenever we, we, we stop talking and we, we try to stop that, that endless chatter. Our inner roommate. Our inner roommate, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in that space, that's where those fears come. That's, that's where those, those things that are, that are just below that, that make us want to try to compensate. Yeah, that's where we start to get uncomfortable and we say, we're not going to sit with the silence anymore. <laughs> yes. But as, as a way to give my mind something to do in that, what I've been doing is just focusing on just the sounds that I hear. And allowing the focus to go from my breath and that silence, the internal space, mm-hmm. to the to just the sound. And so, and what you'll find is there's sometimes a sound within the sound yeah. uh, that you begin to hear. It sounds kind of like a, almost like a white noise. Mm-hmm. But when when you just learn to just hear where that is, that can be a thing that pulls to the breath as well and helps mm-hmm. helps just sit with that fear. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll just start with three breaths. Deep in, deep out, and then at the end of the third one, we're going to go all the way out and just hold it out for just a little while. So we'll start with one big inhale, and then out. Again in. And start to notice what sounds are around you as you breathe out. Any kind of sounds that you're not normally listening to, the things in the distance. One more time in. And then focusing primarily on those distant sounds and the sound of your breath as you exhale, exhale. And just hold it at the bottom for a few moments. And then back in. There's another interesting place where we get to kind of confront fear with this exercise because there's a part of our body that when it goes without oxygen for just a few seconds, starts to freak out. It starts to panic. And what we find if, if, if you do this a number of times, especially if you do it a number of times in a row, mm-hmm. you start to realize that the amount of time you can spend at the bottom of that exhale before you panic and the amount of time that you can spend at the bottom of that exhale before any actual damage is done Mm-hmm. is incredibly different. Your body will start to respond in panic mm-hmm. way sooner than is actually necessary. So you can actually experiment yeah. with confronting that anxiety by just staying there with it and listening. Yeah, 
practicing not reacting to the panic and to yes. the defense mm-hmm. that naturally comes up for us, both in this meditation and our bodies that we feel, mm-hmm. but also on social media, on Twitter, in mm-hmm. these conversations. Yeah, part of that mental exercise is saying, do I have to respond directly mm-hmm. to that fear and just not inhale yet? Mm-hmm. Stay with it, not, but not fight it, not say, because uh, the fear is there on purpose to say, mm-hmm. if you don't breathe, you're, you're going to die. die, right? Completely legitimate, but we're just taking that voice, putting it in the back seat for just a second and saying, I yeah. can spend five more minutes here. Saying, yeah, I hear you back there, I hear you but back I'm in there. control. I'm, it, I'm driving the car. Yep. Count to five, count to 10, then inhale, and then your, your body will go, oh, there you go. And it'll actually be very, very refreshing to and actually to sit with that fear. Trust yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that beautiful little guided meditation. It's definitely needed after that. Uh, Hopefully we can incorporate more of those into these episodes as we dive deeper into some of these uncomfortable topics. That does it for our episode today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk About It. Please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk About It underscore podcast. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've shortened the time from harvest to home for our tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So no matter how you shop, you have more time with your fresh produce. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now, shop what you love and save $2 on each participating item when you buy three or more with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone.